Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. Welcome back to the Grace Church Podcast. My name is Caleb McLaren, and uh, I'm filling in for Steve because we are going to grill him today on the Trinity. It's going to be great. So uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to yesterday's episode, do that. Um, You will be encouraged and hopefully challenged to think about God better. Well, let's start with where we were with places, maybe some things you wanted to say that you didn't have a chance to. Let's start there, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Okay, so um, one, we never really talked about the Council of Nicaea, um, which, or, or for that matter, any historical uh, debates or uh, understanding of the Trinity. So I was trying to work through, uh, at least at some level, just a high-level understanding of the Trinity and not really... I wished I could have gotten into some of, some of that stuff. So the Eastern Orthodox Church and the, well, Catholic Church, uh, in some ways they call it the Great Schism in 10, what was it, 1,000-something AD. I can't remember the year. It's but 10 or 11, um, 180. So they, one of the key doctrinal splits between the Eastern and Western churches is over this clause, Philoque clause over... Um, whether the spirit proceeded from the father and the son, so and the son is the debated uh, clause, and so uh, it's just or whether the spirit just proceeded from. So explain the rest. Proceeded of the, from the father, or proceeded from the father and and the son. Mm-hmm. So just just the 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 key here, I guess, or what I wanted to, I wished I could have gotten into some of these classic debates, but also just classic formulations or affirmations. So um, I can't remember what it's called, but the it, it, 381 Constantinople like follows up the Nice Nicaea in 325. So, but it's like Nicene Constant, I can't say the Niceo Constantinopolian. I, I don't know how well, to I say it. I think you're killing it. But Good it's job. something like that. But <laughs> keep rocking it, Steve. Their, their definition um, is... Uh, is a helpful one. Their affirmation, and it's the Trinity is is really embedded within that. It's I mean it's what we would call the Nicene Creed, but um, it was formulated or more finalized in 381, and that that is a helpful definition. There's others as well, and the one that I actually wish. Do you do you have that by any chance on I, hand? I don't. Uh, but we could get it quick. We could. Um, the one I was going to read, or I would have loved to read, was from the 11th Council of Toledo in 675. Not Toledo, Ohio. Oh, that's Caleb. what I thought. <laughs> uh, I swore it was going to be from Ohio. There were some good councils that happened in Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> the reason why I like Toledo... <laughs> Those were probably more around like food or something like that. But anyways, sorry, go ahead, The Steve. reason why I like Toledo is that I think it actually explains in more plain language what was trying to be affirmed 
by in, in by the Nicene Creed. And so it actually, instead of just the affirmation, a simple affirmation, it kind of goes into detail on explaining. So that one, for me, I actually do think is helpful. Um, Toledo 675, if you Google it, then <laughs> you'll, you'll get there, and uh, that can be a, a helpful resource on the Trinity. Yeah, when I... Um, when I think of ancient expressions of the Trinity, my mind always goes to just the Athanasian Creed, which I think, um, you know, with each with each expression, you can almost kind of hear what they were wrestling through. And so mm. with the Athanasian Creed, it was, you know, we believe or we worship God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. And there it kind of gets back to what you had shared yesterday about uh, God is one, God is three, and God is equal. Mm-hmm. And so you can almost just kind of hear that coming out. And so that's, yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the Nicene Creed here. Well, while you're doing that, one thing I was thinking about when you were listing those things, God is one, God is three, God is equal. I immediately jumped to God is eternal Yeah. as well. <laughs> like, um, yeah. I think sometimes, maybe that was less of a, debate at different points in history but right now with finite godism that's kind mm. of trickling through different circles i think that's another point that we need to affirm is the eternality of the trinity um that god was not caused yes yeah, so the prime cause so i don't know if you're definitely going to this but speaking towards like the son how is the son how does the son proceed from the father for example, or, or begotten. How is the son begotten from, begotten from the father? Begotten but not made. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's their nature is that of fatherhood or sonship, but it doesn't mean that the son was like had had a beginning. The son is eternal, and so we we do need to affirm. We we need to affirm the eternality of father, son, and spirit. So the wording in the Nicene Creed is that the Spirit proceeds from the Father. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference well, between begotten and proceeds, or is there not a difference? Well, one thing I just... Proceeds from the Father is the original, but then they added and the Son. That's the debated ah, clause. Yes. Yep. Proceeds from the Father and the Son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can add... We in can brackets add, there. In the brackets. So we do... We would affirm, we would affirm that. Or, yeah. Protestants, Protestants and Catholics would affirm that. So take that back. Take that back to what you were saying about the Great Schism from 1053 or whatever it was. That what was that there? You just said we as Protestants we would say the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. How does that relate to the Great Schism from the 11th century? So. Um, well, they would say that he doesn't. I, I wish I could give you more here, but I'll read you some of this Toledo statement, which I yeah. think could could get into it in a helpful way. So it says, um, concerning the Father, uh, and we profess that the Father is not begotten, not created, but unbegotten for he himself from for he himself, from whom the Son has received his birth and and the Holy Spirit, his procession, has his uh, origin from no one. He is therefore the source and origin of the whole God. He himself is the father of his own essence. 
who in an ineffable way has begotten the Son from his ineffable substance. Yet, he did not beget something different from what he himself is. God has begotten God. Light has begotten light. From him, therefore, is all is all fatherhood in heaven and on earth. And I, I just got to get to partial of the, the son section. So that's the father section. Then moves to the son. We also confess that the son was born but not made from the substance of the father without beginning before all ages. For at no time did the father exist without the son, nor the son without the father. Yet the father is not from the son as the son is from the father because the father was not generated by the son but the son by the father. It, it we're kind of we're kind of going all over the place here but um or maybe saying the same thing in different ways but well I think it's helpful because when you have in scripture even that word begat mm-hmm. Noah begat Seth, Seth begat so on and so forth, it sounds like made but we're not saying we're, we're made. thinking we think about it begotten not made time, is almost yeah not essence yeah. and and i think this is what they're trying to affirm he, in in the son's essence he's begotten or um being i don't i don't know the right way to say it but um we're made in god's image god is not made in ours and so when we think of god it is it's a temptation to consider God based on our own experience of reality. Hmm. But, you know, when I, when I think of, of these things, illustrations always get us in trouble, right? All right. So <laughs> we didn't talk about that. No, yet, we're but... not talking about illustrations. So this is not <laughs> an spoiler illu- alert. Nope. We're wading into heresy territory. No, no, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> this is an illustration for how two things can be that seem contradictory can be of one. The that Trinity I is helpful. like an egg. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. But thinking about this can be like well, if you could say something is both a, um, both a circle and a rectangle. Well. That doesn't make sense in a flat, horizontal reality. But if you look at a soup can on its side, it's a rectangle. If anyone who's ever had an art class knows that drawing a soup can and making it look round is an issue of shading it, because if you actually just draw the shape, it's just a square until you turn it on its side, and then you have a circle. And I think sometimes we are speaking of God from our own experience, which is somewhat one-dimensional. I'll even say one-dimensional in this reality. And we're speaking of God in one dimension when God himself is is thicker, thicker, and has a three-dimension, well, more dimensions than that if you want to talk about it yeah. more specifically. But that's, yeah. I think that's a helpful way to think mm. about this, is that we are made to reflect, we are made by God in the image of God. God is not made in our image. And there's a constant temptation that we have to make, to fashion God in mm. our own image and worship, I mean, really an abstraction of who God is rather than seeking to know him in all of his glory and mystery. Yeah, yeah, that actually hits right along stride with one of the questions that I had jotted down while you were talking yesterday, Steve. How do we help people understand the difference between logical contradiction hmm. and biblical mystery? How do you, how do you work through threeness and oneness in the same being. Yeah, so 
affirm what Caleb just said. I, I think that is. You want to repeat that one more time, <laughs> word for word, verbatim? Just rewind. It's the, a circle <laughs> and a rectangle. <laughs> do the like thirty second. Can. You, there's like a thirty and second rewind kind of. Oh button. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just hit that a few times. <laughs> no, um, what I I think maybe is helpful, or at least the way I I experience it, or yeah, the way I would affirm how other Christians should proceed for that is we ought to seek to be discovering who God has revealed himself to be an acknowledgement of our own humility or our own limitation uh, to um, come up with correct concepts. and Well, language is also pretty important here because... We're not we're not saying a contradiction by saying God is um, one and three, because we're not saying. Well, we kind of are. <laughs> no, it's not a contradiction because you're not. Now it doesn't work in our. We don't have an existential something that corresponds existentially to this. There you go. But we do have. We're talking about two two different words, yeah. right? It's three persons, one essence. Mm-hmm. We're not saying. Yeah, one person and three persons. Correct. And I think that's really important to be precise. Like, we're, I'm yeah, not. You hear people sometimes say, and I know what they mean by it, but it's sloppy to say 100% God and 100% man. When we're talking mm-hmm. about Jesus. No, we're talking about fully God and fully man, mm-hmm. because you can't have 200% of something contrary to what every <laughs> you know football coach has said in every exciting movie. Do you, Give mean, do you mean truly, truly God truly and God truly man? And truly man. That's yep. what I meant. Yep. But if you say 100% God or 100% right. man, then, then you're saying... it does say- sound like fully. Yes, I meant to say truly God. And this is another example of people get sloppy with their words. Yeah. I no, just did it. Nope, nope, it's good. So when it comes to the Trinity, one in substance or being, yeah. three in persons is a historic, historically correct or helpful uh, way of, of saying it. And and the thing about just being historically helpful or accurate, it, it's not that our goal is to just match with tradition, but but there is a rich tradition that has sought to um, rev, uh, expound upon the biblical understanding. So it gets it gets at this quote. I, was, I, I won't quote it here, but that that uh, um, the the Trinity is a correct name for God because it, it's. The Trinity is getting at the essence or a correct under, biblical understanding of who God has revealed himself to be. And so we are not aiming to just uh, develop precise theological words, but we're using these precise theological words for the purpose of um, accurately showing who God has revealed himself to be. What are some traps that people fall into um, when thinking of the Trinity, it's a good question. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not necessarily thinking about just the, the, the heresies, heresies that come out of it. But what are some traps about the way we even approach these questions? Yeah, so I mean, I I kind of uh, the last quote that I I had given uh, in the conversation, which is. I think all of the other things were said. I'm not positive they really said the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, so it's not important. I don't remember if they said that one or not, but um, that would be one is there's a, a trap that 
hey, just just because you know that word isn't used, then this is not an important concept. So, like indifference, indifference, or indifference um, to the nature of God. Yeah, in, indifference. That's a good way to say it. I, I think that um, we do that in general with um, seeking to know God for who He's revealed Himself to be. By indifference, you mean just throwing your hands up in the air and saying, ah, I can't know it, so what's the point in studying it? Or what do you mean by indifference? Well, I think that's what you were getting that, at. There. That I is think the... that's a trap. In oh, all rela- I see. I think that's a trap, though, in all relationships, mm. right? Mm. I mean, you enter yeah. a relationship with someone, and... It's it's hard. It's hard. And, you, <laughs> and to some extent, no relationship with a real person, you ever reach the full... Dude, whatever... Yeah. April and I are there. <laughs> which leads us to another trap, <laughs> which is called presumption. Pride. Oh, I thought you were going to say pride. pride. <laughs> also pride. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I mean, actually, this this does lead us to another trap, though. So one is you throw up your hands and you go, I, I just don't know. And it's we chalk it up to mystery sometimes too easily, and we miss... We miss what we can know about God, and therefore there are implications that knowing God rightly will have on yours and my life. And as we know him rightly, not only does it, it lead us to worship, which I think is one one key aspect, but also just how we view the world around us. And so um, some sometimes we chalk it up to mystery too early, um, we, we've heard that the Trinity is impossible to fully comprehend, and so, oh, I just never never study it. But another thing that I think is a, a trap uh, within the Trinity and other, I'll say, difficult theological concepts is that of pride. It's, it's I'm interested in just the knowledge for knowledge's sake uh, rather than knowing God for worship's sake or or. Uh, his glory's sake, whether that's his glory through worship or an, an act of worship, like a vertical worship or a horizontal worship on on uh, on the earth. And um, that's where I would go back to that J.I. Packer Knowing God book. It's an excellent read if you <laughs> if you haven't read it. I, I didn't really resource it for uh, the Trinity, but I do think it's an excellent uh, resource, um, particularly I think it's the first couple chapters on why do we study to know God? He really does a good job developing. I think the other day you also pointed out, though, another trap um, in conversation, um, uh, creativity. Um, Creativity in our understanding of God. So if you have indifference and then you have pride or presumption or, you know, to think that you know God in all of his fullness. Hmm. um, But then there's another side that says... I'm going to create a God. And it's it's this creative sort of theology that we were talking about the other day. Um, so that wasn't the word you yeah, used. Yeah, no. What well, was the word you creativity used? Creativity is one, but it, it was it comes from my professor in the oh, modern sure. Christianity. And sure. he, he kind of accuses Karl Barth of this. And he says that, that Karl Barth is fascinated with theological innovation. There we go. And mm. he seeks to, to create. So that's the creativity yep, part. Yep. Create new theological, the truly new innovation when it comes to theological concepts. And so when you get into these kind of difficult things to understand, like the Trinity, then 
then because <laughs> this is a part of that class sort of like particular. sort of like category creation like he's just creating new categories of ways to understand what are we talking about when you say theological innovation yeah that that these that we're not just going to build upon or clarify tradition creating new ways to whole new concepts mm. to understanding god and so that's a real temptation though within within something like the Trinity, because there's a whole lot of yeah. questions that are there, and if you can make a convincing answer, hmm. there's a... I think it probably grows out of pride. Maybe that one grows out of the second uh, trap, but... So, one of these things... we were Caleb and I were just talking about this, because I, I wrote a paper... Um, on Jürgen Moltmann, <laughs> who some some who listen to the podcast maybe have heard of him, but uh, I don't suspect too many. Um, but he builds. This is one thing uh, Caleb was sharing with me, and because Caleb had read the book and written on it as well a, a previous year, and uh, he builds his understanding of the world on how the Trinity relates with itself himself i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know how the correct way to frame that is but but the the social trinity um is something that he builds his per perspective of the world view upon yeah in one sense there's a lot to commend about that because it it's a it's like um it, it's a great pillar that helps you navigate through your theological questions you raise it up and you're like and god is this but if you've built that on innovation um innovation that was built upon your own imagination that's the that was the right, critique i had right. for jürgen moltmann was he a lot of his foundational understanding of the trinity and how the trinity works within creation is built on his own phil- philosophical imagination rather than the god who's revealed himself philosophy it, it's right. full, full, yeah. It's right. Philosophy. So maybe a more a more helpful. Um, I'll just do a shameless plug here for a particular systematic theology book that I actually like that is built on that idea that is not creating new, <laughs> it, creative innovation or whatever is. Um, it's Stanley Grenz's theology for the community of God because he begins mm-hmm. with that premise that God is triune. He operates in community, and so he filters a lot of these different theological positions around the idea of community, which I just find so helpful. But anyways, I'm sorry, that's where I went while you guys were Brandon is a there. helpful... Uh, come on back, come, come well, on back. Steven, we've, we've been doing this for 11 years. You guys are cute, but years. I'm going to bring you back here. <laughs> well, so back, though, back to Packer, though, um, and his... To tie some of the things that we've been uh, dancing around here with the creative innovation around the Trinity, but also with Packer's knowing God, what Packer means by knowing God is more of a biblical kind of knowing. It's mm. it's not just intellectual, Correct. it's all up here, but it's also an experiencing, mm-hmm. an, an experiential kind of knowing at mm. Adam knew his wife Eve. That's an experiencing kind of knowing. And so Yeah, and that's where he starts in that. Yeah. That book. Right, yeah. right. How would you talk about experiencing the Trinity hmm. when you talk about knowing God? Yeah, so at least one 
one concept, and this is um, this is actually from this uh, Jürgen Moltmann uh, book in in his uh, understanding of the social trinity, um, and it's that of is is the trinity of that of dominion or communion, and um, so it gets at the co-equality nature of of God. So one three in oneness and so there's equal and communion I, i'm i'm not going to be able to phrase this uh, <laughs> this is kind of off the cuff here but hopefully it, it's helpful in that even in the way if that is how god relates to himself then thinking about how i relate with my wife or how i relate um yeah, just in, in relationship in this world, am I am I primarily concerned with that of hierarchy or dominion or that of communion? I think can can be a helpful application of, of uh, understanding the Trinity and and actually just oneness. So mar- marriage is a helpful illustration here in that um, how God relates to Himself in Trinity. Two become one in marriage. Three in one in in Trinity uh, can can be a, I guess, a helpful application. So I, I don't know if that's exactly where you're going, but no, I think that's helpful because G, because uh, Paul also ties, you know, kind of turns that same that illustration that God gave us, that anthropomorphic image of oneness and unity yeah. that we get from Genesis two. And then he turns that same image around and said, and this is how you can understand God's relationship to his people and Christ and the church in mm-hmm. Ephesians 5. And I think that's a really helpful way to think about some of this is that God has placed some of these uh, shadows, types and shadows, yeah. Yeah. Um, around not only in the words of Scripture, but also in our existential relationships so that we yeah. can understand a little bit more about who... What, what God is like, how we how we relate to God. And I think that ties actually back to what we had said before um, about how we come to relationship, how the in, in relationships you never plumb the depths of that of a mystery. Yeah. But to say that you don't know someone rightly is also yeah. <laughs> entirely wrong. Yeah. You know, to say that you wouldn't know April, mm-hmm. Brandon, would yeah. be a complete it's false. Would, it's totally false. But <laughs> right. to say that you know her in her entirety yeah. is equally false. Yep. Um, and to and then to show indifference is yeah. What do you give up? <laughs> on, I mean, on knowing her, just cause... right. Yeah. And so I think I think we've gone we, far enough. Yeah. These, <laughs> this is this is good. <laughs> these relation these relationships though are good pictures for us. Yeah, for sure. To think about okay, why is it good for us to know God? Yeah. Why is it good mm-hmm. for us? to struggle through these questions. Why is it good to have these roundtable discussions and talk yeah. about the mystery of the Trinity when we know that we're not going to plumb the depths of mm-hmm. all of who God is? Yeah, for sure. So I'll just add one one more thing here, in, and it's related, and it's one of the scriptures that, that was already read, and it's the um, John 17, 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the whole world may believe that you have sent me. I mean, I mean, I think we have a direct s- statement here on <laughs> Christ mm-hmm. <laughs> showing the importance of the relationship between Father and Son, or um, His specific relationship to His Father. That that we as 
Christians would mirror that unity that they have. And and I'll just maybe make a quick caveat here in that I don't think we're just talking about one denomination <laughs> or that, you know, it's like, okay, got to get the Protestants and Catholics and Eastern Orthodox back together or that all the Protestants should be in the same denomination. I, I don't think we're primarily even talking about denominations here in unity, but unity is much more than simply being a part of the same denomination. I, I think we're a, a much deeper oneness uh, here. So I I think in that text right there, you have a reason for knowing the Trinity as it applies to how Christians are to relate with one another. Yeah, so one, one thing that you said, Steve, and I don't I'm so sorry I don't remember what exactly it was, but it it made me recall what it is to experience um, even the Trinity as we were praying, and it it made me think of of Lewis's. Um, I I don't know if you've ever heard Lewis, his In Mere Christianity, how he gives this illustration of what it is to experience the Trinity in prayer, and I'll just read Mm. it for you because I've pulled it up. Um, He says, picture it this way, an ordinary simple Christian kneels down to say his prayers, He is trying to get in touch with God, but if he is a Christian, he knows that what is prompting him to pray is also God, God, so to speak, inside him. But he also knows that all his real knowledge of God comes through Christ, the man who was God, that Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, praying for him. You see what is happening. God is the thing to which he is praying, the goal to which he is trying to reach. God is also the thing inside him which is pushing him on, the motive power. God is also the road or the bridge along which he is being pushed to that goal. So the whole threefold life of three personal uh, being is actually going on in that ordinary little bedroom where an ordinary man is saying his prayers. Thoughts? So it's actually really helpful in in the application or implication of studying the Trinity that I don't think the little Johnny or whoever, you know, needs needs to in the prayer necessarily know all that that is going on with the Trinity, the the work, the mm-hmm. active work. But there is something to be said for enriching your own spiritual development. That though it's not necessary for little Johnny, it is personally enriching for me to understand the work um, the person and work of Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, it it will do your soul good, um, and we will, as we pray appropriately, as we um, worship appropriately, we we celebrate. We we get to celebrate the Spirit's work, and it be accurate. We get to celebrate Christ's work, and it be accurate. We get to celebrate the Father, and it be accurate. And it, and it um, when we're worshiping God rightly for who He is, I mean. There's there's beauty in that, so I, I don't know if that's the right way to exp- explain well, I think, that. I love that, though. I think that plays back into your <laughs> ten statements about, uh, namely, statements six through eight there. The Father is personal, the Son yeah. is personal, the Holy Spirit is personal. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think... I'm, I should mention, I don't think I ever mentioned, those ten statements come from my um, class on systematic theology. It was Dr. Cole's lecture. Those are my notes. From that. I don't know if those were perfect quotes, but those were the notes that I had taken, and those 10 statements come from that, and I don't think I appropriately referenced that, but but I did. <laughs> I forgot to mention that in the, in the session. 
Nice. So as we're sitting here talking about the Trinity and uh, what we both, uh, what we all have known and love about the Trinity, um, maybe it would be beneficial for us and for those who are listening to consider some of the big questions that we still have, the things that, man, I don't have a solid answer for right now, um, just as we we wouldn't want to presume to be experts on God. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of those what are some of those things for you, Steve, as you've been thinking through this subject and thinking about what you would share that would be helpful and also what you still have questions about? Yeah, I mean, actually one of the things that brought me to doing this specific topic for the session was as it relates to this Jurgen Moltmann book and the Trinity in particular, it's, it's, um, it's some different concepts in how the Trinity relates to his creation. And, um, I would say there's still much room for growth in my own mind on how <laughs> the the technical word word I, I don't think I used it in there the economic trinity how how God relates to uh, relates to His creation. Um, I think that there's though I have some big buckets that I think are helpful. So we talk about knowledge. It's 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 not that I don't understand some important things, but I, it's it would seem as though there's a lot of room for growth individually, but even perhaps as evangelicals that we just we could grow in our understanding of how God has has and does work uh, within His creation. I don't know if that's one, but. I mean, I'd turn it on you guys too. This isn't just just to me here, but yeah. So I, I mean, I I will just admit that I I struggle with knowing exactly how to articulate well to somebody who is not a Christian what it means that we worship one God who mm. is three persons, because when I've been in conversation with somebody who just says back to me, "No, it sounds like you worship three gods." Yeah. I struggle with knowing where to go with how to articulate. I mean, I think you were helpful earlier, Caleb, with talking about three persons, one essence. How do you take somebody into that conversation and define what is three persons and one essence? I, I just want to make mention here, because it's funny you phrase it that way, because I think that as I have been thinking about the Trinity quite a bit lately, um, I think I default towards more like a tritheism. Hmm. Like I actually think that my default... <laughs> I, um, you think of God in his economic relationship rather than his ontological relationship. That was not good, helpful words here. Yep. You think there of you God, go. yeah, how yeah. he relates in persons, God yep. the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, as distinct persons Very before distinct. you think of yes. him. And his one so essence. So I'm thinking of him correctly, but not in his fullness. Not holistically. And, and my default is to go towards that. And, and just, it's funny you phrased it that way. That it sounds like it sounds like you worship three well, gods. I've, I've well, that's because that's where, I mean, that's often where my default right, goes. Right. I, I've had somebody say that to me. It, it sounds like you worship three gods. Yeah. 
And I've even heard I've even heard uh, Muslims articulate that that no yeah. Christians just worship they're they're polytheists they're not monotheists yeah. they worship three gods, and so how do you help them? Well, understand? Judaism as well. Yeah, correct. Yeah. I think you mentioned that yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I think in relationship though with that that it's important to realize maybe we need to help ourselves in our relationship with that first. I think so. Before we... I found that when I can articulate something, that's when I have grasped it. Oh, sure. When I can help somebody by the way I have said it, that's when I get it. That's helpful. Well, I did this... As you just did. As I just did. I did this 24-minute session on the Trinity and it felt very inadequate. And and I I am very inadequate. I mean, truthfully, like, there... So actually, probably both of you could have done this session better th- than I did, and yet, and yet, w- is it not helpful to wrestle with and even articulate and be okay with? I wasn't able to do it perfectly. Mm. Like that's just part of it, yeah. and yet I'm. It's not. It's not impossible to, or it's not. It's not a unworthy task to say. I want. I want to try and describe the Trinity. <laughs> that's a, that's a terrible idea, but I I did it anyways. Well, I'll tell you where where one area that I still I just can't wrestle down is something we were just talking about. Actually, is the relationship that Jesus has as God and man, yeah. suffering in our place for our sins. You know, at one time I wrestled with did God die you know like was he, what does it mean for the father to turn his face away from the son who's of the god same is essence? dead right well that's, it, that's there's a, a spectrum there sentence. you've got on one end you've got god died on the other end you've got there's a break in the trinity yeah. right and so how do you <laughs> right and so i think i've you know i've got some answers for that that are kind of helpful ways to think about it maybe but i yeah. don't I certainly have some questions there that I that I haven't been able to trace out and gives me a lot of humility as I even you know the gospel is at the I mean the death of Christ is at the very center of yeah. what it means to be Christian. Um I mean we come together at the crucifixion of Christ who died in our place for our sins as our substitute as God mm-hmm. and the second Adam. Yeah. Um and so to say that I've got questions at that very, yeah, the nature of that, what that looks like, you know, that, that gives me, well, it, it, honestly, it brings me to a place of God is great. <laughs> I am not. I am thankful that there is a great God um, who would condescend to a not great me. Can I throw out one more? You can. Okay. You're the host. Well, co-host, sir. Yeah, yeah, but you have the power. You can turn people on and off over there with with just a a push of a button. That's true. Okay. Uh, Oh, man. He forgot it. Nope, nope. I got it now. Thanks. Um, I think think mine is back to, Caleb, you, you brought it back for me with wrestling through what we mean that the father is the creator when the son and the spirit were present at creation as well. Right? How is that 
Why can we not refer to, especially when you consider Colossians 1, why can you not consider Jesus as part of the author of creation? I think you can. You have the Holy Spirit who's hovering over the waters, and that's like hovering over the people of God in Deuteronomy. Right. And yet we well, call the just Father... it's one, it's John 1 as well. Yeah. Right, yeah. And yet we call the Father creator. Well, so I think it's an oversimplification of our terms. I mean, it's I think it's shorthand. Okay. I mean, we I don't know that anyone would deny the creatorship of the son in whole, you know, like in as a whole category. Mhm. Any more than you'd disconnect the father from the redemption of humanity. Yeah, to, totally. You know what I mean? Totally. Or, well, some people do. Well, uh, Right, they True. shouldn't. Yes, they, they shouldn't. shouldn't. They shouldn't. But right, but the Father is involved in the redemptive work, as is at the, the Spirit. I mean, I think you uh, can yeah, probably look sure. at any act of redemption, and you so can it's see... almost like they work in community with. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like that. Yeah, <laughs> oneness. 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 Though they are three persons. Persons. One essence. One essence. Eternal. Well, wait, wait. We're getting back to our one, three, equal, and eternal. <laughs> I think we're getting oh, close pa- to ending oh, here. Patrick. That's what I, I think. think. <laughs> I think that's actually a really good s- a summary. You know, yeah. bring, is there anything else that you'd like to? Go God over, is one. Stephen? God is three. God is equal. Okay, <laughs> bring him back. And worth our time. And worth our time. He is triune. He is eternal. Um, he works within his creation, and yet he is separate from his creation. I think. We didn't get into the ind- independence of God and um, just the, I guess the the. There is a, well, you use the word, so I'm gonna be allowed the ontological understanding of God of of Him being separate from His creation is is worthy to be understanding. I guess even philosophically, who he who He is, and yet it has been revealed. And yet we also have seen this triune God work within his creation um, and has been revealed in, in Scripture. So we seek to know him, and uh, that work is at times difficult, but is um, we don't want to worship a false image in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> like We want to worship God rightly um, in obedience. So there you go. That's excellent. Well, Steve, thank you so much for sharing. Thanks, Caleb, for joining us. Hey, it was fun, guys. (laughs) We'll have to do it again sometime soon. Hey, I love conversations with the two of you. It's fun. Awesome. Thanks, guys.